Let's take our Bibles and turn in the Word of God to the book of Acts, and we'll turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and as you're turning there, we ended chapter 7 on, on a sad note. As we consider the death of Stephen, now although I would affirm that the Bible says that he fell asleep. So I do not think that uh, the departure of Stephen in his experience would be as disturbing to us as it was to him. Uh, Looking on the outside, certainly it is disturbing to us. But yet I think that Stephen, his last vision on earth was the same as his first vision in heaven. And uh, truly that was of great comfort to him. But we come to Acts chapter 8, we begin reading in verse 1, and often chapter divisions, we understand, I hope, uh, they're not inspired in the sense that when the book of Acts was written, there was no verse and chapter division. Uh, And often we may think, oh, here we're starting a new section. Uh, But that's not so. The story continues. As a matter of fact, the the first verse of chapter 8 connects us to chapter 7. Notice verse 1 of chapter 8. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Whose death are we talking about? Stephen. So we're continuing in the story here of uh, the death of Stephen. And the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering in every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore... They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. We are studying through the book of Acts in order to understand what the, the first century church was all about. And I've been, uh, we've been paying close attention to the church at Jerusalem thus far. We ask ourselves, what did the church do? And I would submit to you, that's what we need to be doing. Uh, How are the people who were part of the church described? How are they described when we look at them? What was the church involved in? That's another good question. What was the church's impact in the community? For example, the Bible says, And all Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine of the apostles. What was the message of the church? Uh, What was the opposition as well against the church like? What was that like? And how did the church respond to that opposition? Uh, Some of those questions have already been answered in the book of Acts, but will continue to be answered here as we look into chapter 8. And I asked ourselves this question earlier before uh, Ray sung, before the message. Would would Peter, as, as, as we think about first century Christianity, as we read it in the book of Acts... And if we were to uh, have uh, Peter come and visit us today in the 21st century, and if he would enter this door and look at the activity of the church, 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, would he say, oh, that looks so familiar to me? Would he say that? With the Apostle Paul, uh, the greatest of the apostles, um, would he be comfortable with this congregation? Most of all, would our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be comfortable with this congregation uh, when he commanded the disciples and when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? Uh, would Jesus Christ come and say, this is exactly what I was thinking about? As we read here Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, we are given insight into the life of the first century church at Jerusalem but I would like to bring your attention to the expression we find in verse 1, where the Bible says, right after it mentions that Paul was consenting unto his death, the Bible gives us, a, if you would, a, an overview by saying this, and at that time, what time? The time of the death of, Ste uh, of, death of, Stephen, of Stephen Stoning. What was going on at that time? In the life of the church? Ah, that's a good question to ask. And I think it, uh, it ought to arrest our attention. We think, okay, how is the church going to respond to this? At that time, when the first martyr of the church is documented in history, what was happening in the church at that time? So I'd like to preach on this. The church at that time. And when we're thinking about that time, we're talking about the stoning of Stephen. The church at that time. What was happening in the church at that time? Now, from verse 1 through verse 4, we find a summary of what was happening with the church at Jerusalem at that time. The word time here refers to a period. So it's not just one day. As a matter of fact, we read through those verses and we see there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. The Bible talks about them being scattered and everywhere they were scattered, they were preaching. So that just didn't happen in one day. We're talking about a period of time. Uh, therefore, we're not talking about what happened on just one day, uh, on the day that Stephen was stoned. And we can say that this period described, we could say began with the stoning of Stephen. This period of time is marked by the stoning of Stephen, or perhaps the main event that happened in the life of the church at that time. But what we find uh, that uh, this is the time after the stoning of Stephen that the persecutors are emboldened to do more what they've done to Stephen. Uh, and so these verses describe a summary of what happened after the stoning of Stephen. What describes that period of time? You see, the stoning of Stephen was not the end of the persecution. Rather, it was an event that emboldened the persecution. And the book of Acts is not everything that happened in the church, but it's everything that God wants us to know that happened. And often throughout the book of Acts, we have singular events or singular people uh, that happen, that are documented. But then the book of Acts gives us some summaries about a period of time of what happened during that time. For example, we'll see later during the missionaries of the Apostle Paul when the Bible says here, uh, Paul went into this city and he preached and he went to this place and he went to that place. But then there's a summary statement often that says, and this is all that he did in all those places. And so this is that summary statement of what was happening there at Jerusalem at that time. 
And I want us to consider here three points. And by the way, my outline comes right from the text. It's wonderful when we find uh, how easy it is to get an outline from the verse. But notice in verse 1, we're going to find great persecution. In verse 2, we're going to find great lamentation. That's what the Bible says. And then in verse 4, the Bible says they would be scattered abroad everywhere preaching the gospel. We're going to find the Great Commission. So notice, first of all, we consider the great persecution of the church at that time. In verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now we begin here with the first part of the verse that says that Saul was consenting unto his death. And we ask ourselves, what, what, why is that said of Saul? Because certainly uh, the majority of the people that were part of the Sanhedrin and the majority of the Jews that were involved in the stoning of Stephen, they were all consenting unto his death. But why does it point out to us one individual? Saul was consenting unto his death. We go over uh, earlier in, uh, into chapter 7. If you remember, in, um, the Bible says in verse 30, 38, when they all rushed on Stephen, they cried unto him, verse 50, 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him, and witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And so again we have here in those two chapters, we end with this mention of Saul. In chapter 8, the Bible tells us that Saul, this Saul that we read about at the end of chapter 7, was consenting unto the death of Stephen. The word consent has the idea of not just to be in agreement, but to delight in what was happening. That's what the word means. As a matter of fact, later on, the Apostle Paul is going to give testimony of that particular event. If you go with me to Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul is going to, if you would, give a testimony to describe his life before he became the Apostle to the Gentiles. And notice what he says in Acts 22, and if we go down to verse 19. Acts 22, and um, notice verse 19. And I said, Lord, they know that I am prisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. So the apostle Paul, who was earlier named Saul, gave a testimony of what had happened around the martyrdom of Stephen. He said, look, I was the one who went into every house and beat people who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I was the one when the blood of Stephen the martyr was shed. I was the one that was standing by right there. I saw the whole thing. I consented. I agreed. I delighted in what was happening. And I even kept the raiment of those that slew him. Now why is that significant? Why is there a mention that 
he was there uh, holding the coach and he was there consenting unto his death. Well, as we read throughout the Old Testament, we're trying to understand why the Jews did what they did. And it's based upon two laws that they have in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Leviticus chapter 24 and Deuteronomy chapter 17. In both of those passages, uh, for example, in the book of uh, Leviticus chapter 24, someone could be put to death under the Old Testament law for blasphemy. Now you remember at the end of Acts chapter 6, their accusation against Stephen was what? He speaketh blasphemous words against God, against Moses, against the law, and against the temple. And so the accusation against Stephen was what? It was blasphemy. Under the Old Testament law in Leviticus chapter 24, the Bible says that he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord shall be put to death. And so the people in Israel during that time of Stephen would say, under the Old Testament law, we are going to carry out this man's just punishment because he's blasphemed against the name of the Lord. Now, we know Stephen did not blaspheme against the name of the Lord. But remember, they brought in accusers against Stephen. So blasphemy was punishable by death under Old Testament Israel. As we read though in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we talk about the process as to how someone was to be put to death. And Deuteronomy 17 describes that you could not receive an accusation of blasphemy from the mouth of one witness. It had to be by the mouth of two or three witnesses, and three would be better than two. And if they brought in the witness, what would happen under the law, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, the person that brought that witness of blasphemy against Stephen, and the other witnesses, now we remember that those who brought witness, it was false witness against Stephen, but understand under uh, the law, these men who brought a witness would be under the law the first ones to cast the stone. So in other words, whoever brought the testimony against Stephen and brought in the witnesses with him would be the ones who would first put their garments off. They would drop them off at the feet of the Apostle Paul or Saul and then they would go on and they would be the first one to cast the stone because there would be a great responsibility placed on them as the testifying witnesses to be the first one acting upon the stoning and then after they saw that those witnesses did the stoning two or three witnesses, then the rest of the crowd would join. Why? Because the stoning of the rest of the crowd was based upon the acts of the first witnesses who brought the accusation. But the Bible says that Saul was there and they laid their garments at Saul's feet. You know what that means? I believe, and this is not, this is not a doctrinal issue, but I believe Paul, right, Saul, was part of that group who brought the false accusation, although he was not one of the witnesses, he was part of that group of Jews. Why do I say that? Because if we go back, let's do a little study why I come to this conclusion. If you go back with me to Acts chapter 6, you remember when Stephen was debating with different Jews, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 9, the Bible says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So what we have here, understand what that means. There was different synagogues represented in in this debate with Stephen. 
Alexandria, uh, Cyrene, uh, Cilicia. Uh, and so uh, these uh, Jews who lived outside of Israel would come during the time of feast in Jerusalem to observe those feasts, but they all represented different synagogues. But we find one that is mentioned here in verse 9 that gets our attention. The Bible says at the end of verse 9, and of them of Cilicia, notice, and of Asia. Cilicia is interesting because as we read of the Apostle Paul, if you go with me to Acts chapter 21, again, we're looking at the own words of the Apostle Paul now in Acts 21. Notice with me in verse 39, Paul says this, Acts 21 Verse 39, but Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in what? Lycia. Well, notice, one of the groups that was debating with Stephen was a synagogue of Cilicia, uh, which and he was in Tarsus, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me uh, to speak unto the people. If you go over to Acts chapter 22, notice verse 3. Paul continues, says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, and ye all uh, and ye all are all are this day. Notice verse four, and I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. And so here the Apostle Paul later would testify, I was born in Tarsus, I came from Cilicia, and when we read of a group of Jews that was of the synagogue of Cilicia, we find that Saul was right there. So I believe that those who brought the accusation against Stephen of blasphemy was those Jews that were part of the synagogue of Cilicia, that Saul was a part of, and that's why he was the first one to whom they laid their garments. And so he probably has some compadres, I don't know why I said that, some uh, friends in that synagogue uh, that were part of this group. And so they said, oh, here, you keep those garments. And so he was consenting. He was delighting. In other words, he probably said to himself, hey, I, I'll, I'll keep your coats over here. And the reason why they would do that is because where uh, they drove Stephen out, they probably took their garments off there and they would go uh, to that place, if you would, there was a, be a distance between the place where the stoning would take place, but yet Saul would have the, uh, when they drove him out of the city, they would take off their garments to do what? To pick up those stones. Again, they were not pebbles, things, that you, they, often these big stones, you can pick them with two hands, and they would put Stephen down into a pit, and then they would throw these big, huge rocks and boulders at him. You know what Saul was doing all along? He was applauding it, he was thankful for it, he was delighting in it. So as we think about the persecution of the church at that time, we see the sentiment was passionate against the church. When we read that Saul was consenting unto his death, we see the sentiment was passionate. But then secondly, we see the violence was persistent. He goes on to say, the Bible says, not only do we find that at the stoning of Stephen, but the Bible, and at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. You know, often the Bible, every word is purposefully there, and the Bible could have said, and there was a persecution of the church at that time. No, the Bible says there was great persecution at that time. So there's persecution, 
but then there's great persecution. How is that described? Well, we see here, we see the sentiment was passion. So the passion in those Jews uh, turned into uh, a, a violence and persistence in pursuing these people. As we think about verse 3, uh, for Saul, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women and committed them to prison. The word havoc there, and even hauling. The hauling means the idea of dragging by force people out of their own homes. Great persecution. Violence was persistent. We see also, uh, he says, entering into every house. And we see the, and committed them to prison. Uh, this, is, this is an amazing scene. This is not just a, Persecution. It's a great persecution. Why? Well, we read back, and remember in Acts 5, verse 42, the Bible says, And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And so Saul said, If we're going to stop Christianity, it can't be only at the temple, rid ourselves of the Christian. What we have to do is we have to go into every single house that they are and get them. And so... The great persecution of the church at that time, we see the sentiment was passionate, the violence was persistent, and the confinement was planned. Uh, what did they do? The Bible says they committed them to prison. What, what, why did they do that? Because they wanted to shut them up. We, had all, we have already read in the book of Acts that all Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine of the apostles. Well, how do you stop from the doctrine from propagating? By the way, it's, it's amazing that that was true in, the, uh, in an age that was Facebookless and Twitterless and YouTubeless. I just made up all those words. But Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine of the apostles. So the only recourse that they had was kill them or imprison them. Some of them would be shut up. Some of them would be too scared to speak. And some of them would, would, would just run. And that's exactly what happened. And so we read again that they were scattered in the end of verse 1, they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So we see the great persecution of the church at that time. But then secondly, we see the great lamentation of the church at that time. You know, certainly, I think it would do us well as we read the Bible to try to put ourselves into the circumstances that we read. If we're not careful, we might just read the Bible as a novel or as a story and we might be uh, completely disconnected from what, the, what is happening in the Bible. And yet here we read in verse 2, the Bible says, and devout men, again we're talking about the circumstance of the stoning of Stephen, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And so we not only see great persecution in the church at that time, but we see great lamentation of the church at that time. Now the Bible says that there was devout men who carried Stephen's body. The word devout is simply another word uh, to mean that these were men who had good reputation, uh, who walked with God. Another word for devout would be a word that means circumspect. Uh, men who walked, who were faithful to God, uh, they would probably fit uh, to have the position of deacon in the church. And certainly I believe that the sentiment of that church at that time when they were looking for deacons back in the beginning of Acts chapter 6, 
There were so many of them who qualified that they just had to select a number of them, but there was much more that qualified than that which, which was available. And so we see here that these men, do, do you see the scene? I don't know how much these people were privy if the Sanhedrin council was open to the public and how much people got to be able to see and to listen of what happened to Stephen. But we know they brought in false accusers against him. He preached a wonderful message before the Sanhedrin council. And they, as, uh, as just children, they ran up on him, uh, shut up their uh, ears, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, and they brought him, drove him out of Jerusalem, put him in the pit, and they stoned him with great stone. And uh, the crowd, after a while, would dissipate. You know, we, we end Acts chapter 7, we think, we see Stephen who... Uh, saw the heavens open and the glory of God and Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. And uh, he, uh, we see the, the scene of how Stephen died. He fell asleep. And certainly there's comfort in knowing what Stephen saw in his last moments and uh, how uh, God's grace was sufficient for him at that time as he just fell asleep as he was stoned. But can you think about those devout men from the church at Jerusalem who had just selected Stephen as one of their deacons, and now they're coming, they have to all walk out of Jerusalem as the persecution now is intensifying, and they go and they, they find the body of their fellow servant. Let's try to put ourselves in those shoes. They have to come into the pit, they have to get in there, and when they do so, by the way, they're, they're identifying with the message of Stephen. And these men all get in there and they pick up those big boulders off Stephen's body. And often the heap of stone, at least in the Old Testament, would be so great that the body would be completely covered. They have to dig in there to look for his body. And then they're pulling out those big rocks and they see a hand. They say, oh, here's his body. And they pick out more boulders and more rocks and they, they're probably passing those and Bring those, bringing those out of the pit and then those men all get underneath and they carry this lifeless body of Stephen and they pick him up. Why, why did he die? He died for preaching the gospel. And they pick him up and they give him a proper burial. Do you see those men as they're looking at his body they have to carry him some distance. And they're thinking well this is what he got for preaching the gospel. This is what he got for identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the threats that were done against Peter earlier? He says, you are not to teach and preach in his name. And yet they continued and, and Peter continued preaching and the apostles continued preaching. And now all of a sudden what happened is unexpectedly their threats now have been met. And now the first martyr has died in the church now. There is, the Bible says there is great lamentation. That means mourning. You see, it comes from a root word. The word mourning comes from a root word that means to beat your breast in grief. It is understood as having a deep inward pain that leads to wailing. Lamentation. In the Bible says, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. You see the scene... Uh, 
If we put ourselves in that shoes and the devout men carried Stephen over to his burial and then they would come over back to the church to their meeting place and probably in fear for their own lives but then they would all lament Stephen. There would be a, if you would, a hush in the church and people welling for the death of a man they just knew just a few hours ago. That's the church at that time. Great persecution, great lamentation. But notice what happens. There's a third one. We read in verse 1 that because of the great persecution, they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So what we know is that the uh, the apostles uh, with Matthias, the other one, uh, they were not kicked out of Jerusalem, if so, if we understand it, that they, they remained in Jerusalem, but many of them, actually the word that is used there, and they were all scattered. That means certainly the majority of them were scattered ab- abroad. And uh, notice if we read down in, in verse uh, 4, after they Uh, make great lamentation. Verse 3, Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. (laughs) Great persecution, great lamentation, The Great Commission. Remember uh, back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus Christ is speaking to His disciples before His ascension. And He tells them this in Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto Me, both in Jerusalem, that's where they were, in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now when we read so far in the first seven chapters of Acts, we see that Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine, and that geographically the spreading of the gospel is limited to Jerusalem. But now when we find that the persecution arises, a great persecution... And as a result of that great persecution, there was great lamentation in the church. But then through that, the church accomplishes the great commission. And what I'm saying here is that as we think about the church, we we ask ourselves, what is the church supposed to be focused on today in the 21st century? And we have to look back in the book of Acts and we have to wonder, what was the church focused on then? And it is clear they were focused on the preaching and the propagating of the Word of God. Well... Let's, uh, we got to appeal to the Sanhedrin Council. We we have to go and talk to the Roman government over here and we have to uh, start being involved with the government and try to see if the Roman government can cause those Jews to stop doing what they're doing. No. No. They preach the word. Great persecution, great lamentation, the great commission was fulfilled. It is interesting that the Great Commission was not fulfilled as described in Acts 1.8 until the death of Stephen. 
until the persecution became so great, so persistent, and until the church experienced great lamentation, but notice the persecution and the lamentation didn't stop them, it enabled them to do that which Jesus Christ had commanded them to do in Acts chapter 1. You see, the persecution is not the stop. It's not the end of the church. It's the flourishing of the church. So what does that tell us for us today in the 21st century? Certainly there are many things that we can look out around us that we as believers are not pleased with. And all of those things that happen in our country, whatever it is, uh, you know, I was uh, hearing this week and reading a little bit about it yesterday uh, in India, uh, one of their elected officials promised that uh, he would stamp out Christianity out of, out of India before 2021. We get reports from uh, our dear brother there, the Pratt family, serving in India, and um, he's been beaten. Brother Pratt has been beaten by some of the Hindu opposition and some of the states that, that they're living with. And that, uh, by the way, that, uh, that uh, persecution has been intensifying uh, against the, the Christians there in India. And yet at the same time, uh, there are people that are getting saved. There are people that are being born again. Uh, in other words, when we read even, not, not only in the Bible, but even throughout church history, uh, when do we look and we see the church flourishing, the church always flourishes under persecution. It always does. You, you cannot point to one instant throughout the history of the ages since the church was birthed by the Lord Jesus Christ all the way till now you cannot show in one instant where the persecution was so severe against the church that the church was stamped out. It never happened. And by the way, it will never happen until Jesus Christ comes again. That's His promise. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we look all around us we say, oh, well... What is it that we need to be involved in? It's very simple. What they were involved in. They went everywhere preaching the word. You know what that means? When they showed up in Judea, maybe some of them went to Bethlehem, some of the surrounding towns around Jerusalem to uh, see their family members, probably trying to witness to them. Notice they didn't, they didn't come in. The Bible doesn't say they went to their families and they went all throughout Judea and Samaria and then they started talking about all the trouble in Jerusalem. You wouldn't believe what's going on in Jerusalem, what the Sanhedrin Council did, and you wouldn't believe uh, how they treated Stephen. You wouldn't believe how they're treating us in this church, and you just won't believe what is happening to us. No, they went there and they said, let me tell you how you can be born again by the Spirit of God. Let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth who died to pay for your sin debt. Surely He is the Messiah. Let me deliver unto you the gospel that we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we here for? You always talk about the gospel. You always talk about how you have to go out. Every Saturday you say, 10 o'clock, we're going out, street evangelism. And we're encouraged to witness to the people whom we have in contact with, our co-workers and our family. Why do you talk all about this? Because that is what the church is about. Amen. That's what the church did in Acts. And the only reason why churches do not look like the first century church is because they have stopped doing just that. Great persecution, great lamentation, and in that the great commission is fulfilled at 
that time. You know, we're praying about a church building. But the truth is, it's not about a building. We're not trying to get a building to get a building. As a matter of fact, a building absolutely means nothing in the life of the church. How do we know that? Because the book of Acts mentions never a building. Never does. So we're talking about a building. What is it about? It's not about us being established and having a building. It's about us preaching the word and fulfilling the Great Commission no matter what happens. You see, the reason why we want to advance, the reason why we want to pray about a building and move forward for God is to do what? To do more of what we're already doing here. Because we believe with all my heart that uh, our responsibility is to follow the biblical pattern of New Testament Christianity. And we have to say together, this is what they did, this is what we must do. And so I say to us, let's get our eyes off of everything that's happening around us and let's get focused on what God wants us to do as Christians. And I would say that what we are dealing with today in the 21st century is not as severe, not even in the remotest sense severe as that which they dealt with in Jerusalem. And we have to stop acting like we're living as martyrs in the 21st century because we're not. We are not martyrs. But we know what we're supposed to do, do we not? You see, the destruction of the church throughout history has been this, comfort. That's always been the destruction of the church. Comfort. Isn't that what Jesus Christ said in Revelation to the churches as he wrote to the churches? They became rich, they became comfortable, and they were forgetting their first love. They were forgetting some of the basic things that they were supposed to be involved in. And here we are in the 21st century, and I say there's much that we need to be concerned about. And so may the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. A simple message, but this is an overview of the church in Jerusalem at that time. And we are in the 21st century and we are in this time, right now. God has raised this church for this time. So what are we going to look like? We have to ask the Lord's help in that. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray.